Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, Upper Room. I have the privilege to read scripture for you today. I think it's up on the screen so you can follow along there or on your devices or in your Bible. So I'll be reading Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14, and verse 23. So, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinnings so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that the old self has been crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you may obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Good to be with you. I uh, was thinking about this week that I um, haven't been to the doctor in a while. I actually thought about this, and I thought I should book physical. My wife is sort of saying, you know, it's an annual thing, not an every other year thing. I just don't like to go. I, I love our doctor. He's an amazing guy. I just don't like to go to the doctor. And um, then my chiropractor tells me, you know what the problem with all of you is? Is that you only go when the symptoms show up. Um, and that's true, right? Something's going on, and maybe the symptoms are persisting. I'll still even delay as long as I possibly can. And then if I go, what I'm hoping for is some kind of a, um, either hopefully that, oh, they're just, the symptoms are not that serious. This is a cold. This is a virus. You don't need anything. It'll just sort of go away. Um, sometimes maybe if we go and we got some symptoms and they're serious, what we're hoping for in that moment is, um, is, a, is an understanding of the condition. That, that our doctor or health professional might be able to actually name the condition. And, and, and if they do name a condition, we're hoping maybe that it's not serious. Uh, but if it is serious, that there is an understanding of what to do about it. And, and if that's the case, then, then we're good. In that sense, what we're hoping for every time we go, if we go, maybe some of you uh, drag yourself there, we're hoping for good news. We're hoping for that it's either not that bad, or if it is bad, don't worry, we understand what it is. 
and there's something that can be done about that. And often when we think about good news, we think about health, like getting a positive sort of bill of health or a clean bill of health or whatever that is. We've been talking in the last couple of weeks about this concept of good news, and we said, look, as human beings, whenever we discover good news, we do two things with it. We celebrate, and, and what we mean is something that really matters to us. Whatever announcement of good news brings us joy, we celebrate, and then we get on our phones or whatever to tell somebody we love. Because there's something about good news that really isn't complete in us until we share it with another person. Which is interesting because when we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, which is good news is, is what we get from the word gospel, is this idea that there's something so amazing that has been proclaimed to the human race that would cause us to celebrate and then go and grab someone we love and say, you have to hear about this. So we've been uh, talking about that. If we could, in, in one word, what is that good news? It's not salvation, it's not heaven, it's Jesus. That the good news in one word is Jesus. All the gospels were the good news of Jesus Christ according to the gospel writers. His whole life, his birth, his life, his teachings, his relationships, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. This is the good news that as Christ followers we say is something that has so changed our lives that we celebrate and that we want to tell people we love about. I said to you, we need a few more than just one word. Like, what, what would it be in 30 words or a few words? Like, how do we actually understand just how amazing this news is so that we can receive it and celebrate with joy, that we would come here with a song in our hearts, leaping to just get this out because we're so delighted at what has been done for us, what has been given to us. And then also that we'd actually be able to communicate it uh, to others in a culture where people are done with religion and people, we are, in a sense, a post-religious nation where people are done with the church and they're done with all that stuff, we say, no, no, it's not any of that. It's something so amazing. I just have to tell you about it. So we've been going. So just to, just to calibrate, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks or you have and just want to see if, if you're listening, the first one you said, Jesus is God with us. That God has actually come to us, has made himself one of us in Jesus, in the flesh. We actually see what God looks like and what God would say and how God would act. And that, that means he's for us. And then last week, we talked about that Jesus is acceptance. He shows us God's unending, unwavering, covenant love. And today, we're talking about the fact that Jesus is forgiveness, that he's the one who saves us from sin. And the passage that we're looking at is in the book of Romans, and you've heard that word sin. And, and I think generally speaking, we can say, you know, sin is one of those negative words. Like certainly when it comes to communicating good news to other people, the idea of sin is just it's sort of a downer word. But the truth is that it's actually not, not a bad word at all. Because sin is the scripture's diagnosis or the answer to the question that every single person has, regardless of faith background, regardless of whether they consider themselves religious of any kind. The question of what's wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? The things that I read about, the things that I've heard from my friends, the things that I've experienced in my own life. And if I'm honest, what is wrong with the world in here? All is not as it should be. We're trying to understand the answer to that question. And the reason the word sin is actually a hopeful word is because it's an explanation of the cause or the reason. It is a diagnosis. And whenever there's a diagnosis, there is hope. Because if there's a diagnosis, there's potentially healing that could take place. There's potentially a 
secure. And this is so important for us to understand as we interact with the world around us and the people. Every one of us has this, this question we're asking. Well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with out there? What's wrong with that person? See, bad news is, is how most of the rest of the responses are. Bad news would be, yes, the world is in chaos, but if you ask, well, what's wrong? Well, nothing. It's just the way it is. I don't know about you, but that's a bad news answer. Or you know what? What we need is just, is just better government. And you know, everybody who's not in government and who's running for government is saying what we need is better government. You know, and, the, and, the, and every, all the promises are very, oh, we'll do this, well, this is so simple. We just need to clean up the budget or whatever. And then a few months into the job, well, it's kind of more complicated than we thought. And the answer doesn't seem to be better government. Or every civil war that takes place in countries all over the world and there's a military coup and the military coup throws over the despot dictator leader and the people hope for something new. And then in a few months, that leader becomes the same dictator as the one that they ousted before. We see this story played out over and over in African nations and other parts of the world. And we go, well, a new leader is not actually the solution. This, this week on the radio, I was listening to someone talking about racial slurs that were being yelled out at baseball players in stadiums. And, and it was interesting, one of the commentators said, yeah, well, that uneducated person who's using the N-word to, to talk to that person, in other words, it's education. Like, really, what that person needs to realize is, that's not a nice thing to say to somebody. Do you know what that word means? Of course they do. Education is not the problem. And in fact, when we say, oh, what we need to do is just educate the world, it's kind of an elitist approach, saying all those people in the rest of the world who are dumb don't know enough, and that's why they have poverty, and that's why they have problems with their leadership. And if we could just go and educate them, they would be better. But there's such a thing as white-collar crime, too. Education is not actually the problem. And if that's our response to the answer of what is wrong with the world, that's not good news. That's lame news. It's not enough good news. The scriptures actually treat this question with a great amount of complexity. And while it may be, take us only a few words to ask the question, what's wrong with the world, we know that's actually a complex question. And therefore, the answer must be complex as well. Because we as human beings are complex. And the problems we face are deep and wide and complex. Well, you find if you read the Old Testament, and, and as I said to you, you should read it, but if you haven't read it or you haven't read it in a while or you're having a hard time getting through it, one of the things that you'll find is it explains sin in, in a multiple of ways. It's almost like it's kind of what the first half of the book is, is just how complex the world is. That first of all, that sin is personal. We see sin as this personal thing. It, it's interpersonal. We see the Bible actually gives us this like look into several people's lives where we see the complexity and the outworkings of sin in them as individuals. All these little sort of mini biographies that we see in Scripture. That's helping us to realize sin is something that is very personal and it's affecting every human being. And it doesn't matter whether you're a king or a peasant, you're dealing with sin in your life. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a child, you're dealing with sin in your life. And it doesn't matter what your ethnicity or what your skin color, what your language or what your religion is, we see sin infecting every single person in the world. It's personal, but it's also communal. We see families ripped apart by sin. We see tribes battling it out because of sin and hurt and bitterness and unforgiveness and revenge. And then we see that sin is actually even cosmic as well. In other words, that whole nations are affected by it. And that, in fact, things that happened two, three, four hundred years ago are playing themselves out in the movement of nations hundreds of years later. This is actually a cosmic thing. And even as I describe that, 
that actually describes our world, doesn't it? There is personal sin that is affecting every one of our relationships. There is communal sin that is affecting relationships and families and tribal communities and neighborhoods. And there is sin at a cosmic level that we can actually trace the effects of what's happening now in certain nations and the threat of nuclear war to things that have happened hundreds of years ago. It's personal, it's communal, it's cosmic, it's complex. Which is why the good news of Jesus Christ begins with an angel coming to this young couple saying, you're going to have a son and you will name him Jesus, bracket, which means God saves because he will save his people from their sins. The good news of Jesus is that he was sent to us to save us from sin. What does that mean? And maybe you've been in the church for a long time and you're saying, yeah, no, no, I know that. that. That's kind of what I thought the good news was, that Jesus saves us from sin. But what does that actually mean? What is sin? What does it look like in my own life? And what does it mean for Jesus to actually be the one who saves me from it? Well, the Apostle Paul in the, in the letter that was uh, read for you in Romans actually goes into this explanation for people to help them understand what is it that you've actually been saved from? He says this, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under law, you're under grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Greek word for sin is hamartia, or hamartia, which has, it, it, it's, it's this idea of missing the mark, or missing the path, sort of wandering off the path. And, and sin in the scriptures and even in this passage is used in two ways. It actually is used to describe both symptoms but also a condition. Like there are symptoms of sin, things we do that we shouldn't do, things we should do that we don't do, that we're reluctant to do, that we're slow to do, things we miss that we say, I should have done that, I know better, but I didn't. There's those things, things we think that we shouldn't think, things we say that we shouldn't have said that as soon as they're out of our mouths, we say, ah, things that we need to say, that we refuse to say. Those are like the, the, the symptoms of sin. But there's also the condition, which is this thing in us that wanders off the path, that is sort of bent to go here and there and here and there. And if you think about that, and if you're honest with yourself, that describes our lives, right? Like you know you don't even live up to the standard you have for yourself. Never mind other people or God, right? There are things in our lives where we're like, ah, I, I didn't, you, there's things that we know we should do that we just don't do. 
And even though we say, oh, sin's a negative word, it's like, yeah, but you know you have this bent to kind of wander off the path, and you actually know what the path is. And we say to ourselves, I, you know, what do you do when you do something that you know you shouldn't do that you plan to do ahead of time? That's not a mistake. A mistake is forgetting to carry the four. Math. Premeditated, deliberate, I know I should do this, but I'm not going to do this. Premeditated, deliberate, I know I need to go and make that right, but I can't. I refuse to. What is that? That's something in us. It's both actions, but it's also a condition we live under, and it's a condition because every one of us has it. It's a worldwide infection. And the scriptures say something beautiful happened to you and I when Christ died and was raised to life. It uses really interesting language in this passage. It says that Christ died and that we were buried with him. Think about this, you know, that Jesus dies on the cross, goes into the grave, and Paul is saying, listen, you need to picture actually that you're, and it talks about those who are baptized. He's basically saying those of you who have committed to follow Jesus, who are in Christ, it's like that was your death too. You were lying next to him in that grave. And the death he died, it wasn't, yes, it was a physical death, but it says the death he died, he died to sin. And that when he was raised to life, you were given a new life too. In that process of Christ's death and resurrection, for those of us who say, yes, I'm with him in that, that death he died on the cross was my death. That burial was my burial. I was with him in that cold tomb. That life he now had, new life, blood surging through his veins, that's my life too. Something happened when that happened. First of all, forgiveness. It says here in the end, you are not under law, but you are under grace. Grace. See, the way that things Go is death. Death is the way of all things. The scriptures actually tell us that when sin came into the world, we all died. And not physically dead, we were all here, many of us. But there was a death that came in like a disease that affected every part of us. There was a death between us and God, and in a sense, our relationship with God was separated, and so we feel this pervasive separateness from God. There was a death that happened between human beings that we began to, they began to affect our relationships, that we had conflict and sin between us. We see it in every relationship that we have, in our workplaces, in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. There's sin, there's death, there's brokenness, something that beautiful has been marred. But then there's also death to ourselves, the way that we think about ourselves, the human mind, in a sense, every one of us has a mental illness that there is shame, there is self-doubt, there is self-loathing, there is thinking too much of ourselves or thinking too little of ourselves. We are not right with ourselves. There's a death in a sense that we don't think about ourselves as we were meant to think. We don't see the world as it really is. And then there is, of course, the exclamation point on all of this, which is physical death, which claims every single one of our lives. The scriptures say that death is what is, is the result of sin. It says the wages of sin is death. In other words, the result of sin in all of our lives is death. It's why every literal death, every funeral bothers us to the core, no matter how well the life was lived. 
no matter how long and, and prosperous was the life, there's something in us that says, this shouldn't be. Because it's like something making the final claim on that life saying, death says, I always win. It's a sign of death within us. It's the way things go. And Paul says, no, no, not anymore. You are not under law, but you are under grace. That you and I have not been treated with the way everything goes. That as a result of our sin, death has reigned and infected every part of our lives. But Paul says, as Christ has died and you have died, you have been forgiven. You are now being given grace in Christ. And not law. Law, which is you didn't meet the standard and you didn't do this right. The law that we have for ourselves, the law that God has for ourselves, the law for the way things should be that we're always bending off and falling short of. In Christ, it says you have been forgiven. That's what happened when Christ died. We were forgiven. But when he rose to life, it says you have been given a new life. Because we not only needed forgiveness, friends, we need freedom because we live under the power of sin. The way Paul describes sin and the scriptures describe sin is it's not just a symptom, it is a condition where we are slaves to sin. What we want to do, the good we want to do, we can't do. The things we know we shouldn't do, we can't help but do. There is a power over us. It's not just the stuff we do. It is the condition we have. And Paul says, you actually have a master that is sin because of your first life. And every single person was born under the rule of sin. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin in your life. That's why he says, sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law. You are under grace you just step back for a moment and think about this. I know of no other worldview, no other religion, no other system of thinking, of political thought that gives us this. Dealing with both the stain and the death of sin in our lives, and Jesus saying we are forgiven. That all that we have done and failed to do has been wiped clean by Christ, that our hearts are pure before him because he has said, I forgive you. And that we have the power to live differently. Think about that. It is all yours in Christ. And this is such good news to share with the world around us because you know why? Do you know what actually needs to happen to heal the world? Forgiveness, right? We need forgiveness between husbands and wives to let things that have happened in the past not just be forgotten, but forgiven. We need forgiveness in families and extended families where people have wounded people and people have said things and not showed up to certain parties or done things to other people and the grudges have spread. We need forgiveness to say, we let this go. We want restored relationship. We need forgiveness between nations and civil war and things that have happened over hundreds of years that have ripped apart nations and ethnic groups. And the only way that we can be a forgiving people is if we are a forgiven people. Anyone who thinks they do not need to be forgiven is going to have a hard time forgiving. You get that? Anyone who thinks they don't need to be forgiven is going to have a really hard time forgiving. 
if we actually want to see this world healed in all of its broken relationships, we need to be people who live first as forgiven people. That yes, sin is this symptom in my life, but it's also a condition and I could not do anything to change it, not by my own effort, not by my religion, not by my education, not by anything. But Christ has done this for me. And then we have a hope to say, you know what? We actually have the power to live a new life. You don't need to live under the power of the way you used to live. Some of you this morning, right now, today, you are feeling the weight of stuff that you're saying, I just don't know how to kick this. I don't know how to stop myself when my mouth just opens and says the things that later I regret. I don't know how to stop myself from the addictions that I'm having. I don't know how to deal with the way the feelings come up in me towards my boss or towards my peer or towards myself. I, don't, I feel like I'm powerless. Paul says, in Christ, you're not only forgiven, you are given the power to live differently. This is the good news. I want you to just watch a, a very short story of someone who actually experienced this. And, and their story is different from yours. <laughs> but every one of us needs the same experience of forgiveness and freedom. So the power of Jesus' life to save us. You know, in that story, it wasn't just the symptoms. He didn't just move from being a drug user to a not a user. And the chaplain named it out and said, the man who went to bed that night's not the same one who got up again. Friends, this is the good news that is ours in Christ. It doesn't matter what the symptoms are in your life. Jesus has the power to forgive you. And to say, whatever you've done, you're not treated with law, you're treated with grace. But he also has the power to say, come now, you're going to live a new life. That the same power that raised Jesus literally from the dead is in you and me. At that point, can I get an amen? Yes. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. So we think, well, I don't know. I don't know how to change this pattern. It's been so long. It's been so... And, and I just know in my life and many people, it, it doesn't always happen like that. But the belief and the hope and the, what we profess when we say Jesus has saved us, it's not just from something, but to something. You know, the early Christians, the first word of gospel that they proclaimed was three words. We read it in Romans 10.9. Paul says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This was the first Christian profession. Jesus is Lord, not Jesus is Savior. Why? Paul says, if you believe Jesus is Lord, you'd be saved. See, the church and many Christians have come to this point believing that salvation is this thing that's dispensed through baptism or through the Eucharist or through praying a prayer. And all I need to do is just do that thing and then I got my salvation and thank you, Jesus, I really needed that. I got my ticket to heaven and now I can go. It's not how salvation works. Paul says the three words of good news are Jesus is Lord. You know why? Because every one of us has a master. There's no one who is free. So you just have to decide 
who's going to be the Lord of my life? Is it what other people think of me? Is it was the expectation that my parents have? Is it my workplace? Is it my money? Is it my physical looks? Is, it, is that what's going to determine what gives me a sense of satisfaction, security, stability in life? Is it going to be my good record so that I'm not so much of a bad person anymore and I used to be and that's what actually saves me and gives me stability in life? Or is it Jesus who is my Lord and Master? You see, Paul was writing to the church in Rome and what was common for people in Rome to say was Kaiser ho curios, Caesar is Lord. That was the proclamation of every Roman citizen, Caesar is Lord. And what that meant was we live under the rule of Caesar. Caesar is the one who has promised to look after us and be a benefactor, and we will be beneficiaries, and he will do good things for us as citizens of the state. It meant that they worshipped the emperor. Emperor worship was a part of Roman life. (laughs) But for the first Christians, Paul says, no, your declaration is not that Caesar is Lord, but Jesus is Lord, which means you live under his rule. You're going to trust him to look after you and forgive you and save you, and he is the one that you worship. Every one of us, who there may be some of you who say, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, that means you've actually said to Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. There isn't any corner of my life that doesn't belong to you. There isn't any corner of the kingdom of this heart where you are not meant to rule. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a reality yet today. There are parts of my life that I willingly surrender and others that I keep to myself and say, God, just let me do this. Or if you could just answer this prayer because that's what I want for my job or that's what I want for my life or that's what I need. So can you just do that for me? Because that's what you're, you are. You're a savior, right? And, and I'm saved, so now I just ask you for stuff. Jesus, no, actually, I, I want all of you. I want, I want to be your master. Like there isn't any part of your life that I don't say, that's mine. I have plans for it. I have purposes for it. Now, it's very scary for us, right, as Western North Americans, for anyone to be Lord. We're very concerned if anyone is the Lord of all. <laughs> right? Because we've just seen abuses of power by lords and kings and CEOs and political leaders and maybe parental authority. And so we are very scared that anyone would be the Lord of our life. You know, Caesar was Lord by his own self-proclamation. I mean, he was a child, so he died, and his father died, and he becomes the new Caesar. But Caesar, as part of his role, was to proclaim himself, was self-promotion. The great exploits of Caesar Augustus were written by Caesar Augustus. <laughs> this is what you did. It was the love of personal honor. That's how Caesar established his authority, self-promotion. How did Jesus establish his lordship for you and me? Self-sacrifice. That's why we can trust him to be the lord of our lives because he made himself lord not by promoting himself but by giving himself away. That's why he is trustworthy. It's why we can say, okay, I can trust you because you held nothing back from me. You have given your very life. That's why this is good news, is everybody has a master. <laughs> you just have to decide, are you going to be ruled by one, like sin, or are you going to be set free by one who gave his life for you? What's more, and this is so important for us to get, this is good news to be shared with your friends. You say, why am I a Christian? Why is Jesus the Lord of my life? Because you know what happens when you make Jesus the Lord of your life? Listen to what Bruxy Cavey says in his book, Reunion. When we say Jesus is Lord, we say a lot by what we are not saying at all. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar is not. Politics are not. Power is not. Economics is not. Religion is not. Fame is not. 
fashion is not, appearance is not, food is not, fitness is not, friends are not, and family is not. This is hard to admit. But when we put everything else infinitely second and come to Jesus as our everything, he sends us back into the world as better versions of ourselves. The best gift we can give to this world is to abandon it for Jesus so he can send us back into the world to love it like Jesus. When you and I actually surrender to Jesus as Lord, we become more like the one we worship. And the world needs more of Jesus. That's why this is good news. And so I want to ask you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Some of you, maybe this is your first time in church, your first time in a long time, or maybe you've been in this community for a long time, but you've never actually made him the Lord of your life. Yesterday I did a wedding. A wedding is both a day and a life, right? There's a day. There's a day of commitment. There's a day of exchanging vows. There's a day that there are witnesses. There's a day that is said, you and no other, till death do us part. But then there's a life too. Without the life, the day means nothing. You don't actually live, I do, the rest of your life. The day kind of means nothing. And yet without that day, there was no line in the sand. There was no day of abandonment of everyone else to this one. And Jesus being Lord is like that. It's a day and it's a life. And some of you, maybe today is that day. Maybe you have never come to that point where you've actually said, okay, I don't just want things from you or need things from you. I actually need you to come and take over. Maybe today is your day. It's what it means to let him save you. And then there are others of you that said, yeah, I've said that, but there's sections of my life, there's whole corners and places in my relationships or my finances or my sex life or my work or whatever that really I just don't want Jesus' rule in because I'm scared. And for some of us, it's not the day, it's the life. We're struggling to experience him as Lord. And so what I want to do is just pray for you wherever you are, and I want to lead you in a prayer. And you can just pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. Whether for some of you it's today or whether it's about the life, that Jesus would actually be Lord. Jesus Christ, we thank you that you alone have the right to be the Lord of our lives because you are the one who has given yourself away for us. And so we turn to you now in prayer and say this. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Take over. Forgive my sin. Give me the power to live a new and a different life. Come into the parts of my life that are not yet surrendered to you. Help me to trust you. Help me to say, Jesus, be my Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. That's why it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Man, I just want to bless you this morning with two things. It's just the knowledge that you are a forgiven person. That that is the thing that is blazoned over your forehead, across the doorposts of your house, 
over your desk at work, over your relationships, over your marriage, that you are first and foremost forgiven. Secondly, I want to bless you with an experience, with an encounter with Jesus where you feel like some area of your life that has been dead is being raised to life. That you are actually experiencing the power of the resurrected Jesus. Only Jesus could do it. No priest could pronounce it over you. You can't talk yourself into it. It's only something Christ can give, but he wants to give it to you. So you and I just need to be like this, waiting for it. Did you receive that? Amen.